With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's episode 98 of Stands and Fits. Recording in the Carl Chevrolet Studios. If you're looking for a newer pre-owned vehicle, check out Carl Chevrolet's inventory at carlchevrolet.com, carlchevroletstuart.com. Or you could always go down to their lot in Ankeny or Stewart, just off the uh, exit 90 at the Rock in Ankeny, and then just west of the Des Moines Metro out in Stewart. What's up, brother? Hey, dude. How's it going? can't complain we're uh we're getting by yeah another week another pod another week another pod um we are making our slow approach to number 100 mm-hmm. again we're, still on that mid-may target path yeah mid-may uh probably about three weeks from now mm-hmm. so it's uh it's been a long journey but um how's everything else been going going well still doing a lot of extra stuff at work just because we've kind of adjusted our approach on doing things you know because normal business i think for everyone's been affected so we've done some things different and it's been changing what i have to do day to day so yeah it's good though it's mm-hmm. good that uh good to see you man good yep. to get in here and uh and do the podcast so i mean i'm not even gonna mess around anymore but uh we are introducing a new segment today we talked about this on uh on our last podcast i have no idea who it was who gave us this idea i'll be completely honest i don't remember i I can't remember if it came from twitter or the forums i think it was on twitter okay but it was a good idea it was a great idea yeah it was uh to do cheap wine in place of our uh, our bad beer segment that we did man i don't even know how long we did that it probably really wasn't that long in the grand scheme of how many episodes we've done now yeah i feel like it was probably pretty consistent through the first year and yeah. then we probably did a year without it because i think we obviously we hit that wall where we ran out of beers to try i almost feel like the man i, I thought that we stopped with the the christmas edition when we did the 10 year old beer <laughs> was it 10 or was it 30 uh it was 10 okay it, oh, well, oh, yeah oh. it wasn't wasn't that quite that bad oh. but uh i mean it was bad it, it was, was it was very bad <laughs> uh but that would have been christmas of 2017 and then for some reason i feel like we maybe did one more and that was when i found the that would have been 2018 i think wasn't it been no it would have been 2017 really yeah it would been december 2017 seriously that long ago wouldn't it ha- yeah i mean i would think so isn't that right because i mean we talked about well that's what i was gonna say i got the we've done two and a half years of podcasting now yeah and i got the the bush light that was like nine percent 
alcohol content down yeah. in Memphis and brought it back up here. Oh, that's right. So it had to have been December of 2017 was when Dang. we did that. And then I, I want to say that we kind of just we stopped doing it and i don't know that it was really like we. i think we had done it consistently up to that christmas episode and we did a few more after that one but then that's where it it just stopped yeah and we've explained why we did that it was just yeah i mean you run run out of things but yeah you run out of gas station assortments yeah beers to try well now i mean we could try we could have done like seltzers and things like that i mean there's been a lot of innovations in the the alcohol world here recently could have kept on going and done actual good beer but i feel like a lot of people do good beer you know yeah well and that's what i was going to say so i feel like we're breaking every stereotype of mid 20 year old male podcasters by you know when everybody else zigs we're gonna zag everybody now they sit down with their craft beers yep or uh something like that or you know the folks that tailgate society they do their black velvet or whatever it is that ted flint is drinking on a given night yep uh you know and and of course the the bush lights and things like that um we're gonna do cheap wine Mm -hmm. and we are probably gonna be the only mid 20 year old podcasters that male podcasters that are drinking cheap wine during their podcast um something else i was going to bring up to you too i feel like we should tie our rating system back to the sports world a little bit so after we we try a how wine, much do i pour in a glass like that much Th- that's it yeah you don't pour that much in a glass it's not even a half glass yeah exactly like you like you you it should be so you can swirl Here, I'll it. give it i'll give it to you okay you can pour it for yourself thank you yeah it's, it's it's so like you should be able to swirl it around the glass without worrying about it coming up the top you know yeah so like i would probably stop it like there man we're we're going to have a lot of half glasses then. So over, over my lunch break today, I watched a, a video like on how to actually taste wine. So this is our t- official tutorial. I'm going to give you some training on the job here. Okay. So from your, from your YouTube, YouTube. So for one thing, you're already holding it wrong. Oh, holding it wrong. Oh. <laughs> you're holding it on the glass part. Yeah. You need to hold it on the stem. And then, yeah, you swirl it around because that is apparently like adds oxygen to the wine. Okay. So we're both currently doing that. And then, so you smell the wine. Smells like alcohol. Smells like wine. Yeah. Smell, <laughs> smells like what I expected it to. So, and then like, so yeah, as like you take a whiff of it and then you, you sip it essentially. And then you sip it. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. I have no idea. Like neither of us know what a good wine is. No, I have no idea what good wine is. This um, is a barefoot Moscato. Yes. It was $4 at Casey's. I've seen, uh, I'm not an expert on cheap wine, obviously, or any wine by that matter. But I have seen barefoot, and I've tried some kind of variety of barefoot before. I can't remember if it was this kind, though. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, but like I was, I was kind of leading into earlier. I think our rating system should be different. We should tie it back into sports. I think we should. Oh, my bad. It's fine. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> um, I feel like we should tie um, the rating into like you, you say this wine equals some kind of athlete. You pick an athlete in any sport that to equate this wine to i feel like that's tar- that's going to be hard to do considering it is at this point basically this would be like if we you know say for instance you've never seen basketball before in your entire life and the first time that you watch someone play basketball you know you're watching uh hmm, uh oh man i'm trying to ch- uh uh, it's, it's just some, you know, Brian Cardinal is the first basketball player that you ever see play. Yeah. Uh, he's just out there working out, putting up some shots. You see the ball go in the hoop a few times. Uh, obviously, his nickname was the custodian. He's not by any means a guy that is a, you know, killer basketball player. Yeah. Um, auto- automatically, that's the best basketball player you've ever seen in your life. That's true. 
I feel like I can offer some kind of player comparison for this wine though because I know Barefoot is like one of the the most common cheap wines out there. Like you can go to any store. Mm-hmm. You went to Casey's and got this. This yeah. is that's where you got this from. Yeah, I had two options at the Casey's that I went to. What was the other option, do you know? Uh some sort of red wine. Okay. So yeah, so they have a white wine which this is and and a red wine. Yeah. But yeah, when I think Barefoot, I think mass produced. So I'm thinking like it's got to be a popular athlete. But I don't know. I have no idea how, like, how good this wine is in comparison to any other wine. So I feel like you kind of have to give it a... It's a popular player, but you don't know that they're necessarily that good. It's almost like a... It's like a... You know, one of the things when um, when I was being recruited when I was going to play college basketball. And there was a, a guy on my team who obviously was one of my friends. Someone that is one of my friends to this day. That he wasn't being recruited that heavily was our leading scorer was the best player on our team to this day is probably one of the best basketball players that I've ever played with um and he was not being near recruited near as heavily as as I was and it and it didn't really make very much sense to me at that time obviously it didn't make much sense to him he was uh I mean I think it was hard for him to be going through that scenario but um you know when we when I would talk to the coaches that were recruiting me and I would try and kind of you know, push my friend a little bit or make a sales pitch for my friend or I'd talk to my dad about it or things like that. You know, it would, they would talk about how, you know, there's always a lot of six foot three white guys who can drive to the basket and are good athletes. I mean, I think that he's a better than good athlete. So it's like, and I think that that proved out over the years, yeah. but uh, it it's still like, you know, when you're recruiting for small schools, like the, those guys are a dime a dozen, yeah. you know, whereas I, it's like, oh, are you okay? Yeah. Did you just break your hand? Uh, I might have. Uh, <laughs> it's harder to find um, guys that are six foot seven, and, you know, and can and are athletic and can move and things like that. And uh, that's like maybe what this is. This is the six foot three white guy with an average jumper and good athleticism. So I'm gonna I'm gonna force you while I say my pick. Uh, I want you to think of an NBA player that's that equivalent. Okay. Okay. Well, so my pick. I'm going. I'm going to a different sport. I'm going to to baseball. That was the other one I thought of. Um, so for this pick, again, it's a it's a mass-produced wine. It's out there a lot, but from at least from our perspective at this point in time, we don't really know how good it is. So in my mind, that equates to Bryce Harper. Because, Bryce Harper? Yeah, Bryce Harper, because he was really good that one year where he won MVP. Uh-huh. He hit like 350 and like 40 homers. But ever since then, he's hit like 225, and he really just is all over the place, strikes out a ton. We don't really know if Bryce Harper is actually that good. Yeah, he still gets shoved down our throats all the time as a good player. Can I offer up a rebuttal, though? Yes. There was a time when we thought, I mean, it, universally, Bryce Harper was a once-in-a-generation talent. We did. You know, he was a, obviously a superstar as a high schooler, went from being a superstar high schooler until he was a, uh, to where he was a um, – I think he left high school at like 16 or 17 to go play junior college baseball. Yeah. And then was the number one overall pick in the draft. So Mm -hmm. it's like, has there ever been a point where anybody ever thought that barefoot wine was a transcendent talent of the wine game? Hey, I'm just saying, look at this bottle. On this bottle, it says double gold and best of class 2016 Indy International Wine Competition. Reading that, I would definitely think that this is a a star in in the, the wine world. I want to know who judged this. Who judged this competition? Yeah, and like how, like how many wines were at this 2016 in, international? Right. What competition? were the parameters? Because I would imagine that if this was a truly prestigious thing, uh, 
It wouldn't be sold at Casey's for four dollars. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was. That's kind of what I was going to get at. But uh, I also, I, I did put out that it was an, an award-winning uh, wine. But I guess really it's, I guess really it's not because I imagine that there's probably some sort of. They probably have like a hundred of these wine like competitions, and if you enter your wine in, you have like one in three chance of winning. It's probably about like uh, JD Power and Associates. Everybody <laughs> wins the JD Power and Associates award if you put out a vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Like you, if your the ve- safety award. Yeah, if the vehicle runs and it uh, and the wheels don't fall off every time that you start it, then here you go J- from JD Power and Associates. Here's your trophy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the barefoot wine. Yeah, and that's and you get like it's just a you know it's a it's a 2012. Uh, Toyota Tundra. I mean, it's just, mm. it, it's going to run. It's going to get you from point A to point B more often than not. Uh, and as long as you're not being an idiot, you probably won't die while you're driving it. That's true. Well, I mean, for me, a Toyota Tundra would be a, an upgrade over what I'm currently driving. So, But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get where I'm coming well, from. I'm, yeah, it's I was the, just it's coming the, up with a random vehicle. It could be like the, the, like the Ford Focus, like the, the most common yeah. car that's out there on the highway. Yeah, a Ford Focus, a Nissan Altima, just yeah. like some, you know, a Honda Civic. Yeah. Any, any of those those cars that you see like every two two miles down the road. And we committed to drinking this entire bottle. Oh, uh, yeah. We should tell people that we've nearly drank the entire <laughs> bottle uh, before we've even reached the 15-minute mark of the podcast. We, yeah, we both have glasses, again, about half full right now, and there's probably, I don't know, maybe one small glass for each of us left in the bottle. Yeah, I mean, that was a... I feel like it'll be harder if we get some that are, you know, like... Uh, yeah. Like, this isn't that big of a bottle. This is probably only, what, about 24 ounces, maybe? Bigger, uh, maybe bigger? Here, let me see it. I'm sure it says on there. 28, maybe? It is uh, 750 milliliters. Yeah, but I'm not European, so I have no idea, no idea how much that is. Well, that's like a basic, I mean, standard... Yeah, but like... Okay, okay, I'm, I'm Googling it now. I mean, I think you, you that talk, that's I'll like Google. a standard uh, a standard amount, you know, that even like vodka or something like... Like, this is the same size as a bottle like of some sort of vodka that you could buy 750 milliliters is 25.36 ounces okay so yeah it's like it's like a one of those bigger size bottles of mountain dew that you could buy like the 24 ounce you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 i get what you're saying uh yeah i guess that's not that much then no i mean basically it's like if we divide it in half it's we're both drinking a a, a, a the equivalent to a 12 ounce can yeah okay well that yeah that makes more sense that'll be really easy all all the time then yeah so if we, if we just shoot for the 750 milliliter, mm-hmm. then we'll know for sure. I can't think of like a specific athlete to really like, okay. When I'm thinking like just like a, a role player, not, not necessarily know how good it is, but they're, they're a bigger guy in the NBA. Like you outlined. Yeah. I mean, it's like just, a bam, bam out of bio. No, what about bam, bam out of bio is better than that. He, oh, he's gotten better, but he was pretty raw coming out of Kentucky. Well, yeah. I mean, he was 19. You yeah, know, Bam is now what, twenty, twenty one. Yeah, but when, he's coming into his own. Won the skills competition this yeah, year but, at the All Star Weekend. But when you name like the top ten centers in the NBA, I'm not sure that you name him in that that group. No, but I mean, if we're gonna, we're talking about potential. You know, when we're talking about a guy like Bam, he's young, he's long, he's, right. he's athletic. All right. So how about how about um, an older player then? I was gonna say I would, I would probably pick a little bit of an older player. Mm-hmm. I'd say that uh, I'd say that Barefoot One is maybe uh, maybe, maybe. If, if we're talking in terms of centers, it's maybe a JaVale McGee. Hmm. Ooh, so really? Hmm. Javale, Javale isn't that isn't that widespread though. He's not he's not that popular. I would say. Well, who like who's in? What about what about Yao Ming? He's not in the league anymore. Yao Ming's a Hall of Famer, dude. Like no, yeah, that's, but, I mean, that's a bad. 
I mean, he was a Hall of Famer because he was just no, giant. No, no, that's not true. Yao yeah. was, was otherworldly. of the game. Yao was otherworldly. He was on some very good teams. He was very good. He was very good for like elevated the a game few years. to a whole other level across the globe. He didn't have that much longevity. Very though. influential player to the history of the United okay, of fine, the okay, National fine. Basketball Association. All right, I, I I concede. I concede. All right, but I'm trying to. I mean, I don't. It's got to be more popular than the JaVale McGee. Uh, what about a uh, more popular than JaVale McGee? Yeah. Um, Man, I don't know. Because again, you can go anywhere and get this wine. So it's got to be like it. Who, okay, who, here. How about a? How about think, a, a, a Mark Gasol? Uh, Mark Gasol. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Or Brooke Lopez. The Lopez brothers. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I'll agree is, with that. Barefoot Wine is the the Lopez Lopez brothers of of wine. I'll agree with that. Okay. I'm glad that we were able to <laughs> settle on something to figure that out. Uh, cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers, <laughs> man. Um, all right, let's shift gears to the Iowa State topics of the episode. All right. Uh, let me pull up the rundown here real fast after Googling my uh, milliliters here. All right. Uh, NFL draft. Yeah. Obviously, the Cyclones didn't have any pick picked this year, but they had undrafted free agents. Um, Six of them now. Yep. Matt Lee to Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> Ray Lima to Miami, yes. I believe. Steve Wartell to Detroit. Yep. Um, there was someone else that went to Philadelphia. Julian Good Jones went to Philadelphia. Yep. And then uh, Marshall Spears and Josh Knipple both going to Cincinnati. Correct. So uh, good for those guys. I'm not I'm not surprised that we didn't have anyone drafted this year, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean when you're long snappers, the best chance that you've got and basically one long snapper a year is drafted, you mm-hmm. know. Even if you have one of the one or two best, then it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah. And I, I at this point I'm not really counting on too many other undrafted free agent signings maybe Deshante Jones is one that I haven't heard about yeah that was the one that I was kind of the only one that I was maybe a little bit surprised about you know and I, and I think too that there would be more if it hadn't been for all of these all of the stuff that's going on in yeah. the world you know I think that Deshante could have had a chance um I think Jamal Johnson would have had a chance mm-hmm. uh I think that uh LaMichael Petway probably would have had a chance mm-hmm um, but then when you, like I said, when you throw in the the dynamic of, of COVID-19 and all those kinds of things, and then, you know, the fact that they might not have the OTAs, the rookie mini camps, you know, the tryout opportunities, uh, then, you know, th- some of those guys probably are hurt a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, looking ahead to next year, though, kind of shifting gears a little bit, man, Brock Purdy's been in a couple mock drafts in the first round now. Yeah, he has, and then uh, I've seen Charlie Kohler thrown around uh, as being a top 100, yep. you know, draft prospect at this point. Yep. Uh, I mean, and, For, and I and I will add too, you know, I did a podcast on Monday that's going to come out on Thursday with uh, Jay Jordan and Jeff Woody, and we talked a lot about about this stuff, and they they both know a lot about this process. So we'll go more in depth on those kinds of things uh, than like what you and me are going to. Yep. Uh, but no, I mean, and I said on there, I feel like. When you look top to bottom at Iowa State's roster, there's probably more guys on it right now coming into this next season that have the potential to eventually be NFL draft picks and stick in the NFL and be like impact players in the NFL than a, in a long time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because, um, I mean, you, you take those two uh, in Brock and Charlie. Mm-hmm. I think that Chase Allen will probably get an opportunity. Yep. Uh, I think that Jaquan will probably get an opportunity. Any is a guy that we've heard for a long time about what his potential is. Eisworth. Greg Eisworth is in that same category. Um, I think Brees Hall will have a chance yep. here in 
you know, not, obviously not after two next three, year, two but or two, two or three years. Yep. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Dylan Sainer got an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Rose. Yep. Orion Vance. Will McDonald. I mean, I yeah. think all of these guys are guys who, you know, and those are just the ones that we've seen a lot of mm-hmm. uh, that we already kind of know what their talent is. Yep. And I'm sure that there's guys, I mean, I think even a guy that they mentioned was Sean Shaw, you know, someone who's got some of those raw abilities yep. and now the measurables yeah and now we're going to get an opportunity to see them more you know what can they do with that to eventually work their way into that conversation yeah and i do think the big kind of story that iowa state fans especially have been you know observing over the last few years is that that streak of first round that first round or drought streak mm-hmm. so i think the purdy and kohler i think are the best chances of that streak coming to an end but at this point in time i think all the mocks including purdy in the first round are pretty crazy in my opinion yeah, I mean, <sighs> again, he he's he's six foot like on on a roster sheet, he, right? He, like he's pushing. He might not be six foot actually. Brock checks a lot of boxes, you know, like as far as the production, mm-hmm. the character, uh, you know, the intangible things. Yep. But when you look at the physical parts of it, like the physical intangibles that you think of when you know NFL teams are falling in love with quarterbacks. Uh, when you look at a Joe Burrow and a Trevor Lawrence and a, you know a, a Justin Fields, a Tua Tagovailoa, I mean Brock, like you mentioned, is short. Yep. Compared to those guys, he is doesn't have near as strong of an arm as those guys, and he brings a lot of other things to the table. But I mean, I think we've learned over the last however many years that a lot of NFL quarterback drafting comes down to how good does this guy look in a pair of shorts yeah well and, i mean look at nate stanley he got drafted and he, we all know how inaccurate in general nate stanley has been but he's got the build and he's got he played in the system at iowa which resembles a pro system and that's probably why he got drafted by the vikings in the seventh round yeah and i mean he's he's a guy that you know is smart um mm-hmm. and he's got I mean, he's big you know he he's a lot closer to that pure quarterback yeah. mold than and those what, things go a long way in the nfl right and and i think that chris has talked about this on the radio a lot just where he you know the nfl puts a lot of uh stock into can this guy stand on the sidelines and help us in a way besides when we have to put him into the game yeah you know and if you're going to draft a, a first round quarterback i mean you're drafting a first round quarterback with the intention for that guy to be on the football field yeah like for, I, th- I think i read a stat that if you get a quarterback in the first round if, especially in the past few years, that quarterback has starts at least half the year for your team. Yeah. Like, it's, it's been proven. Like, they, they will be the starter for your program. And I don't see Purdy as an NFL starter in year one. No, definitely not. And, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think there's obviously some, you know, pretty high-profile examples of where guys, like, teams have drafted a quarterback and then they've sat for a year where they kind of learned the system. I yeah. mean, obviously the guy who just won the Super Bowl, you know, was yeah. the MVP of the league. Uh, not this past season, but the season before. Um, you know, even uh, an Aaron Rodgers who sat behind Brett Favre for that time. But those are like you're dra- you're moving up because you have a specific need that it's like we got to get our next guy. Yeah, you know, and maybe some team could be doing that, but I I don't know. Like from what I've seen from Brock now, obviously he's been uber productive at Iowa State. Yeah, but. I don't know that anybody's going to look at Brock and be like, yeah, that's our quarterback of the future. And yeah. that's nothing against Brock because, like I said, he's been super productive. He's a very successful college player. But just from someone who, you know, has has followed the NFL draft for basically my entire life, I just – I don't see that. Yeah. In, in my mind, Brock Purdy's pro ceiling is a 
less strong-armed Drew Brees. And that would be... Like, absolute best-case scenario. Yeah, and, I mean, Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, for... A lot of things have had to go right, probably, for Drew to ever be in that scenario. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had to get... You don't want anybody to get hurt, but he had to get hurt at the exact perfect time to where then he ends up getting cut by San Diego and goes to New Orleans and then ends up in the correct system, ends up in the correct system with the exact right head coach at really the exact right time because they immediately became one of the best teams in the NFL, won the Super Bowl, what, two years after he had been signed there. Yep. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like so much of it's about the right fit, right scenario, right situation. And I mean, I'm not saying that Brock can't be that guy, but next year, you know, at this time, us talking, sitting here talking about Brock being a first-round draft pick, I don't see it. I don't see it either. I think he's. I think he's. We're gonna peg him for the the third round, in my opinion. And that would, to me, that'd be a great year, or yeah, that'd I be mean, a great place to go. In well, my yeah. Opinion. I mean, by no means, like, but I'll also say, if Brock's gonna be a third-round guy, like. I would think that he'd probably come back. I would think I, so, too. I would be surprised if he went – because it's not it's just not the same as a running back. That's why if I know? had to hang my hat on either one of those two guys, Purdy and Kohler, I would put my, my money on Kohler being the, the first-round pick between both of those guys. Yeah, and I, I, I think that Charlie's the one with the highest potential. Agreed. You know, and I think that he fits what the NFL game is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just – you know, I don't – I just don't see that. I don't know. I, yeah. I feel like they're overlooking Charlie if, if you're going to throw Brock ahead of him as far yeah. as being a pro prospect. And I don't know. It might be the kind of thing where, I mean, there, there were so many quarterbacks that went this year. I mean, you got the, you got the upper echelon guys, you know, Trevor Lawrence, the, those kind of guys going next year. And then after that, QB3 is kind of, I think, where people have paid Brock. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that position is probably up for grabs at this point. And he could be end up being the, the third best quarterback in next year's draft class. But at this point... I don't think that's going to be a first-round pick. Well, think about what it even took for Joe Burrow to become the clear-cut number one pick. Yeah, last year at this Literally time. Literally had to break every record that could possibly be broken <laughs> by a quarterback and yeah. win the national title. Last year at this time, no one picked Joe Burrow for, for the first-round draft pick. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like he, he literally had to put together a historic season and lead the great, probably the greatest offense in modern college football in order to become uh, – you know, a, a become the f- number one overall pick. And then you look around what he had, you know, around him. Uh, Justin Jefferson was a first-round pick to the Vikings. Yep. Clyde Edwards-Elair was a first-round pick to the Chiefs. Yep. Um, there's more of those guys that were on that offense that were picked, maybe not in the first round, but were picked highly. And and that's, like, I mean, Brock's not, you know, like, we're talking about there's all this talent and all this stuff, but, like, Brock's not surrounded by three guys that are going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft. Exactly. You know, and, and that's just where – I think that Brock has a chance, but I just I don't I find it hard to believe that Brock is going to go and be a, you know, first round pick. That just that to me seems overreactionary. Yeah. Because and I've seen it too. And that's know? why personally I hope Iowa State fans aren't going like around trumpeting that those mock drafts that have Purdy in the first round because in my opinion it's so early to 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 hang your hat on that essentially. Well, yeah, and that that goes back to the Joe Burrow thing too. At this time last year, we had no clue that Joe Burrow was going to be what he was. Yeah and was going to become what he is now. Yep. And, I mean, there's probably a lot of guys that were in that scenario. You know, I, nobody knew that Tua was going to get hurt as badly as he did. And, you know, for him, slipping from one to five was unfathomable. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think you can even look at, like, a, a guy like Jake Fromm, who everybody nearly won the national title for Georgia two years ago. 
and then slides all the way down to being like a sixth round pick i can't fifth, fifth or sixth round pick i just know he slid the hell down that draft <laughs> yeah and it was someone that last year last year at this time he was showing up in these mock drafts the same way yeah he he, he might have been a top five qb in last year's mock drafts at this time yeah and, and that's where you know we don't know we yeah. don't know and I, and like i, I don't I want, feel like he had a particularly bad year no at georgia and i'll say too if Brock's a first-round pick, well, then this year probably went pretty awesome. Yeah. If, if he's a first-round pick at this time next year, then Iowa State probably had a really good 2020 football that. season, I, I, whatever that might look like. I think Iowa State, in order to get Brock into the first round, Iowa State will have to have their best season in school history. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, I mean, I think that they just – they have to get him more exposure. And, I, you know, that – I do think that that matters on some level. People in the NFL might tell you that it doesn't. I mean, I know people say, like, oh, there's a guy from Lenore Ryan that goes in the first or second round or whatever it was. But, I mean, the best way for Brock Purdy to be able to elevate his profile in that sense is for Iowa State to go and win a bunch of games and play for the Big 12 title and yeah. for him to be in the conversation of being the best quarterback in the country. Yeah, get on Sports Center a few times. Make some, make some noise. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's – that's that, I think. I yep. think. We covered all of that. What's uh what's next? Tyler Harris? Next up, yes. Tyler Harris coming to town. And obviously the big thing on Tyler Harris is he still needs to get that waiver. Yeah. Um here you want to top yours off? Yeah, sure. All I right. was trying to trying to do it even, but uh yeah, I'll I think I think we're about even. Yep, so the the rest of the wine is currently in the cups. Yeah, it's gone. Uh all right, yeah. So Tyler Harris, um, waiting for the immediate eligibility and I anybody who listened to Chris and Brent on Sunday night knows uh, that maybe there's some, you know, that the rule passing in June might not be quite as solid as what, from what Chris is hearing, I yep. suppose. Uh, I still find it hard to believe that it won't pass, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Because I feel like there's way too much noise about n- it. Noise about it. And if it doesn't pass, I feel like that will be a something that'll really get a lot of buzz. I mean, people are going to be not happy. Yeah. People will start clawing at the NCAA, and they already have enough people clawing at them. Yeah, and I think, too, when you look at how much the NCAA is making movement now on the name, image, and likeness and how fast that that thing has really started to move. I mean, even today they started making some more announcements about it, like the things about a new task force and all that kind of stuff of how to do it. Uh, I think you can see that there's some urgency from them on their end to try and get that done. And I, I would imagine a lot of that has to do with what they're seeing happen right now with the top college basketball prospects. Yep. Uh, I, I find it hard to believe that this is not going to pass. I mean, I, and I don't know. I'm yeah. not as sourced in as Chris is. And, yep. But that's just like my personal opinion from how from what I can see from the outside looking in, yeah. Uh, if it doesn't pass, then I think that that will be a, a massive talking point for at least another calendar year. So for discussion purposes, let's say it does pass, and for whatever reason that makes Tyler Harris eligible for this upcoming season, mm-hmm. what, what kind of impact do you think he has on this team? Yeah, I mean, I think he can be a guy who can, um, who can handle the ball for you. I'd rather hit the ball be in his hands probably than have it be in Razier Bolton's hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that... You know, he gives you another scorer in the backcourt. Uh, and, he, you know, he gives you a guy who's really going to try and, and get down and, and give you everything he's got, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like what – if Trey Jackson had, like, a higher profile as a high schooler, you know, and was like – he's like a notch above what Trey Jackson is. Mm-hmm. They're very similar in size and, and in their game, but I think that Tyler Harris might just be, like, a notch above that. And yeah. he's obviously a year older too. Mm-hmm. Um 
But I think that he's a guy that can come in and be a double-digit scorer for you, potentially. But yeah. I think, too, it, you look at it just be, because of what I mentioned before about his size. I mean, you got to get some more guys in here that can come in and, um, you know, you know, in the 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", mold that can guard the wing and, and guard some of those bigger players. Yeah, and I mean, you could argue that you have those guys with some of the incoming freshmen, but at the same time, you never want to rely that much on freshmen, like especially like we did last year. Yeah, and, and just if you can get an older guy, then yeah. you should, you know, yep. especially if he's going to be immediately eligible. But, yep. uh, I mean, I think it's a, a big pickup. It's a lot better than any pickup that I think we probably would have said they were going to get two year, two weeks ago mm-hmm. when we were here. Um, and, you know, I think it's someone that people should be excited about because I do think he's a good player. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just think it's – I think being 5'9 as a true point guard in the Big 12, it, it'll be interesting to see how he how he's able to do it. Yeah, I mean, like the, the last – or at least the guy that comes to mind that was that small, like semi-recently is Pierre Jackson of Baylor yeah. in my mind. And he was such an incredible scorer. I don't think I'm not sure that Tyler Harris will be that pure of a scorer as Pierre Jackson, but he's going to be he's going to be a, an outside you know threat for Iowa State. Well, and the other thing about Pierre too, when he got to Baylor, I mean I I'm I'm looking this up to be mm-hmm. certain. He came out of JUCO, didn't he? he? Yeah, he was a junior college player, and I I remember. So I went used to go to the um, national junior college tournament down in in Kansas every year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I want to say that he was like the – yeah, he played at the College of Southern Idaho. Um, and then he went to Baylor in the 11-12. So, yeah, I was – I remember watching him play at the for the College of Southern Idaho in – it would have been like the 2010-11 junior college tournament. I mean, he was like best player in the country. I think he was the guard of the tournament. And it was like one of those things where you watched him – in that Mm -hmm. and you're like man this guy can play this guy's real deal you know and uh that's where i saw scott drew for the first time in person he was down there watching uh watching pierre play but uh i mean i i think that he is going to be i mean he was like as a sophomore in junior college you're like damn this dude's like yeah he he doesn't belong here you know and, and obviously, I'm not saying that, that no, it's like Tyler the, Harris will be that good. Yeah, but. but that's where it's like we we say that to say that's the kind of mold that he is, yeah. but not to say that he's like as good as Pierre Jackson. It's like that's, Pierre that, Jackson was like National Junior yeah. College Player of the Year when he got to Like Baylor. Pierre Jackson could be the goal for Tyler Harris. Yeah, like if he could be – I mean, if he could even be a quarter of what Pierre Jackson was as a senior at Baylor, I'll, yeah. I'll pull up. I'm pretty uh, sure Jackson didn't he lead the Big Twelve in scoring, or at least was pretty close to it. I think his senior year. Yeah, he led the Bears to an NIT championship win over uh, Iowa. Oh, averaged 19.8 points and 7.1 assists per game as a senior. So, if he can come and average almost 20 points per game and almost eight <laughs> assists per game, uh, then I would say that Tyler Harris had a very successful career at Iowa State. I would say that that is a uh, a, a uh, good thing for Iowa State. 19 points a game, seven assists. Yeah. I would take that. And 19 points a game, I think, would be. I mean, like that's like George Deang levels. I don't know what yeah. George – I mean, I think George averaged more than that as a senior. But yeah. 19.8 points and seven-something assists is like Monte Morris-type numbers. So yeah. don't think that when we say that he's like Pierre Jackson, it's like he's in that mold. Pierre Jackson's like a another level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's just that kind of guy. Yeah. Well, and, and Harris will have three years of eligibility, correct? No, he'll have – 
Two? Two. He would have okay. three to play two. Three to play two. If okay. he had to sit out, because he would have a retro year. Got it. Okay. Well, so, so yeah, he still has a, a year to grow into that, it's essentially. If he has to. Yeah. Yeah. But he'll probably, if he can play next year, he will play next year. And then in that case, he would have two years of eligibility. Yep. So he basically is coming here like a junior college kid, but yeah. it's just not coming from junior college. Yep. Um, Anywho, it was, it was just in general great to get some good news on the ba- Iowa State basketball front. Well, yeah. I mean, it was nice to not have to consider like what are they going to do now again for a while yeah i mean you do but it's just like okay i mean there was a string of, of got like, the first one yeah there's a string for like three or four weeks there where iowa state was included in the final four or three or whatever of yeah. so many guys and just no one picked iowa state yeah and that's what i think that's what was so frustrating to people is that you kept seeing iowa state be involved but then you know they just never could like get over the hump and land somebody yeah and i mean with some of them you know like Obi Toppin's brother. If Obi Toppin's brother thinks he can go to Kentucky and elevate himself from the four points a game that he averaged last year at Rhode Island, then hey, more power to him. I hope yeah. that he does. It, you'll, I hope wish you success down there playing for Coach Cal in Lexington. Yeah. But you know, a lot of them, it's like you're not like losing them to small schools. You know, it's Cincinnati and Marquette and places like that where it's kind of like, okay, you mm-hmm. know, we can handle this. Yep. Yeah, they're going. They're going to the big schools where they will get a very good basketball experience yeah and you know i can't blame them i mean when we've sat here and talked about what iowa state brings back next year and i mean if you, if you want to go somewhere and win you're probably at least this next year probably not going to get that at iowa state well and that's just i mean we hope that that could be different because it can change with just one you oh get yeah one, like one, one or two guy. guys yeah you get yeah. one guy that like can really change things i mean yeah you add mariel shayok to that team last year or two True. years ago now, you know, yeah. you take him off. I mean, they would have been better than yeah. they were the year before, but would they have won the Big 12 tournament without Mariel Shayok? Probably not. Yeah. You know, you add that one guy, and it takes you to a whole yeah another well, and, another level. And two, like the the one thing that Prome can sell for sure is that it, it's especially a high profile guy, and he wants to be the guy. Iowa State can make him be the guy currently. Oh yeah, there's absolutely a lot of opportunity. Yeah, you know, and um. I mean, that's where, like, a guy like Justin Turner, and I've said this before, the kid from Bowling Green, I can't fault him at all for going back to Bowling Green because you look at what the schools that he's being recruited by, the way things were trending at that time. I mean, he had an opportunity, has an opportunity to go back to Bowling Green, be the school's all-time leading scorer. They'll probably be picked to win the MAC. Like, if if you looked at the schools that he was considering, that might have been his best chance to go to the NCAA tournament at that time. That's true. And it's just like, I can't blame him one bit. Like, in fact, I commend him because – it's like man props to you for sticking to it going against the grain sticking to what you've done for the last three years who you committed to out of high school and and just you know rolling with it and uh you know you john rothstein throws out all the stats and stuff like that of guys that go from the mid-major level to the high major level how many of them have played in the final four and all that kind of stuff and like i think i feel like that's kind of like a cherry pick statistic but it's just uh i mean it, it probably is on some level, you look at it, it's like, I mean, think about the guys that have come from mid-majors to Iowa State. Mm. How many of them have truly been super it, successful? Yeah. I mean, I feel like all the guys, especially like the transfer you era, they all came from high-major schools. Yeah. I mean, Royce was from Minnesota. Corey Lucius was from Michigan State. Chris Babs from Penn, Penn State. State. Uh, I mean, even a guy like Nick Weilerbab came from Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Mariel obviously came from Virginia. Virginia. Mike Jacobson came from Nebraska. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I think the only ones that you can really throw into that category are uh, DeAndre came, came from Marshall. Yep. Um, 
Abdul Nader came from Northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, ones that like we really would look back and it's like, okay, that guy really elevated himself coming yeah. from his small school to his bigger school. Like Anthony Booker, he was just a role player here, um, trying to go through the line. I mean, Will Clyburn came from UNLV, but I would still consider them pretty big I thought school. thought he came from Utah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. My bad. Which is now, a, I mean, has always been a good basketball school and is yeah. now obviously in the Pac-12. I don't know yep. if they were at that time. But, yep. uh, I mean, you... Other guys, you, like Dustin Hogue was Indian Hills. Yeah. Um, Tyrus yeah. McGee was a string, or was a, another community college. So it's like those guys were JUCO. Jamil and Deontay both came from Marquette after after Indian Hills for uh, yeah for, for Jamil. Um, and then like uh, yeah, know, so I mean Daryl Bowie, like guys like that, you know. It's like they were again they were role players. They weren't anything spectacular for it, Iowa State. And that was at best. I mean, there's been a handful of those guys too that have come here. And Merle Holden, we talked about him on that podcast we did a couple weeks ago about the Kansas game. Mm-hmm. And it's like at best you know they're a role player they're a guy that when you turn the game on you're like man i forgot that he was still playing at that time of the year yeah and uh that's just where it's like you know props to justin turner for going back to bowling green where he knows that he can have success and hopefully he can help take the program to a new height you know and it's just like man i'm not gonna sit here and make or break iowa state season on whether or not they get a kid from you know western michigan yeah. Or Hawaii or, uh, you know, Cal State Northridge. I don't know. Wherever. It, yeah. I, I just think that that's like at some point you kind of just got to be like, ah, I don't know. They're not to the point quite yet where they need to – they just need bodies like they have been at like, again, that one year where they had to take a few guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, they literally needed people on the team to be able to even – Practice against practice. each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm not like sitting here – I feel better now because you got Tyler Harris. He, Memphis is different than like a normal mid-major or you know pow, group of six school or whatever because it's obviously a very prestigious basketball school and they have a head coach who is very notable. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think I really feel like adding him if he's immediately eligible takes you from being you know tenth or eight, tenth, ninth or eighth in the Big Twelve to all of a sudden they're like man. Boom! Now we're in the top half. Yeah, you these know. guys are contenders now because of that guy. Right now, Iowa State's a, a bona fide tournament team going into the next season because they added this guy. I mean, mm-hmm. no, I, I think it's a notable addition. I think it's a good addition. Something that people should feel bad, feel good about, but don't get your hopes up so high that you're like that you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. If that makes sense, I am on the same page. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, uh, turning the page on that, let's go ahead and wrap up our intro with discussing the Rodman and Jackson Last Dance episodes. So I know you you discussed on the last uh, Title IX podcast about the first two episodes of Last Dance, I believe, uh-huh. but you haven't discussed these yet, I have not, to my knowledge. I have not discussed them yet. So uh, let's start with the Rodman episode, obviously, episode three. Um, kind of a introduction, he kind of you know went through his career, or went through his stint with the Pistons, 
went to San Antonio for a while and the Bulls brought him in. What was what stood out to you for that episode? I mean, I think that it was just a lot. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know that much about Dennis Rodman, I guess. I mean, I knew enough about him as a basketball player, but I didn't know that much about his backstory. Yeah. I'd never seen the other one about Dennis. Yeah. And his his story kind of bled into the next episode, too, that was primarily yeah. focused on Phil Jackson. Well, and the Pistons. Yeah. And the Pistons. That was just because of the correlation with the Pistons, I'm sure. Yep. Um, I guess the thing that stood out to me is that Rodman didn't really become Rodman until he was with the Pistons. I, I, I didn't know that much about him, but he did, he was relatively, I would quote unquote, normal yeah. until he got to the Pistons, and he was just he just turned into a completely different guy. Well, even with was it the Pistons or was it with the Spurs? Well, I feel like he or like I mean, the end of the Pistons deal. Yeah, the end of the Pistons deal because the the turning point, at least in in the episode, was he met Madonna and Madonna like made him feel yeah that you know you could be your own person. Yeah. Was, was kind of the narrative they spun which was out that was like in the late 80s or early 90s right yeah i believe so after he'd been in the league for a little while at least yep um but I then mean, he ends up on the bulls and he's essentially the third best player obviously after jordan and pippen yeah i mean i think the thing that was just so impressive to me and this was like coming at it from an analytical basketball mind you don't see guys that have the ability to tip the ball up in the air continuously the way he did mm-hmm. and where I mean you can just see where he uh, he had what uh, Jay Billis calls the rejump ability yeah like pogo ability yeah and just like boom 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 and he's like he keeps tapping the ball and he's not he's not even putting up two hands he just is tapping it and keeping it alive to where he can tap it out to a spot that eventually he can grab it yeah. and and like that to me was where I was like dang like this dude yeah, yeah, like you don't you don't see people do that very often. Yeah, I mean he's he's not a seven footer. He's what like six nine. Yeah, it, yeah, I think so. So there's a lot of guys in the NBA that tower over him, but I mean at the same time he was an incredible rebounder. Right. Well, and there was the one where you even see him going at it with Charles Barkley, and I think that they probably had to play similar type Styles. of style. And I mean Rodman's wrestling the ball away from him, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that was what was so interesting to me and then you hear him in his interview where he's like they had the whole little montage where it's him saying all these different things about like oh i'm gonna tap it over here i'm gonna grab it here and like he said that like 20 times you know yeah and he he he, it's like he he had internalized every possible way the ball could bounce off the rebound if it was shot from a specific point on the floor yeah and and then he would sit and watch michael jordan shoot and see the way the ball spun Mm -hmm. and to know oh the ball's gonna go this way because this is the way the ball spins off of michael shot like that's the kind of things that that's expert um, level rebounding. Oh yeah, I mean that that's like a doctorate level class in rebounding. And you I I also don't think that someone can just like do that, you know. Yeah. You you got to be like a different kind of crazy well, that's, to that's, to want to buy into that to the point that you're picking up on those kinds of things. Yeah, and that's I think that's a misconception about Rodman too. Is a lot of people kind of, you know, look at his outward appearance and expect, oh that guy's probably lost a couple marbles upstairs. Yeah. But he was very very smart in the way that he approached the game. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Dennis Rodman hasn't lost a couple marbles cuz he <laughs> Well, especially I, since then. Right. Yeah. I would say that he absolutely probably has but yeah. in the sense of basketball no the dude's a basketball genius yeah you know and that that was what was so interesting to me was here it was one of the first times that i'd ever really heard dennis rodman sit down and just talk about basketball mm-hmm. and that was really interesting to me mm-hmm. and um all the other things that go into it you know i wasn't like i was not coherent to know when i mean i was alive when dennis was playing but i was not coherent to like sit and idolize Dennis so like when I hear Chris on the last couple of days on the radio talking about how he was a bad teammate and things like that because of needing to take his vacation and all that kind of stuff I mean it sounds insane 
I mean, if that happened today, it would be insanity, yeah. you know, but it's like, I'm not here sitting like disappointed that Dennis Rodman did something weird, you know, because yeah. I've always thought that Dennis Rodman did weird things. So that was just kind of like part of my baked in that was, idea of Dennis Rodman. Yeah. That point that you bring up, I, I was kind of wondering as the episode was going, like what would, what would Twitter react to Rodman doing his thing nowadays? You know? Oh, I mean, it would be, think about He'd the way people torched, I would think I mean think about the way people react even to like Draymond Green yeah you know well it's like I'd be curious to, as, how, as to how the media would portray it too like would they would they flat out say he's on vacation or would they say something like he's just taking a leave from the team well here and I'll, I'll even say this how would Twitter react to the way that those Pistons teams even played oh yeah I mean those guys beat the hell out of the Bulls like I remember when I remember in game, what was that, game five of the NBA Finals in 2016 when when LeBron James is standing over Draymond Green and Draymond Green takes the swipe, the, the swipe at, his, at his crotch. And, like, immediately, it's like, oh, my gosh. This guy's the dirtiest Draymond player Draymond Green is so dirty. He's yeah. a, he is a horrible person. He should be suspended immediately. And, like, that's why he got suspended was because everybody freaked out. Yeah. You know? And in – did he hurt LeBron? No. You know, like, I'm sure, uh, should you be doing that? No, <laughs> you should not be doing that either. But it's just like, at the same time, it's like, man, if there wasn't the public backlash of it and things like that, and the way that people can react in those sense, in that sense publicly, then the NBA probably wouldn't have handled it the way that they did because he gets suspended. The uh, I think, if I remember it correctly, maybe it was game four, but the Cavs come back and win. You know, and it gives the Cavaliers some momentum where the Warriors were basically about to close them out and the Cavaliers, in the end, win that series. And a lot of times, I think if, you know, I haven't watched those games in a long time outside of Game 7, but if you went back and watched the whole series and you watched those first handful of games, it was very clearly trending one way, and that was to the Golden State Warriors winning the championship again. Yeah. And all of a sudden that happens, and it opened the door. Yeah, everything shifted. And and it shifted the entire – momentum of the series into the Cavs' hands and then the Cavs are able to win the title in the end and I was sitting there thinking watching what they were doing to Michael Jordan what what the Pistons would do to Michael Jordan and or what they would do to anybody I mean they showed a lot of clips and I'm just like man they would have gotten guys suspended every game if had they done that this year's NBA they would have had people banned from the league yeah I strongly believe that. Mm -hmm. In today's NBA, there would be people that would have been banned from the league. And part of that is that the NBA is much more conscious of its stars than it probably – and not that it wasn't conscious of its stars then, but just was a different league, you know. And and I was sitting there thinking, too, imagine that team, those Pistons teams, trying to do that to LeBron James. Yeah. At six foot eight, six foot nine, two hundred seventy five pounds, mm-hmm. when he can run a four five forty or whatever it is with a forty something inch vertical jump, good luck. Good well, luck. I mean, that's an argument. I mean, again, the the whole LeBron James versus Michael Jordan debate is and, up there. And I don't want to make it that. No, it's, I don't want to. It's not about. I mean, Michael but and the same LeBron time, are different players. I would say that. I would say that LeBron James, with his with his physical characteristics, would be more well suited to go against those Detroit Pistons than Michael was at that time. Well, and that's why when you hear them talk about when Michael started lifting weights mm-hmm. at whatever he was, twenty five or twenty six, was he lifted weights for the first time? Mm-hmm. LeBron probably started lifting weights when he was like twelve. Yeah, you know, and. And that's just on top of the fact that he was a physical freak. He's been a physical freak since he was like nine. Anybody that knows anything about LeBron James. And and that's what I'm saying. Like, 
would they be able to do some of those things? Sure. You know, like if you'd grab someone around the neck and pull them down while they're jumping, you know, that would, you're going to hurt, you're probably going to hurt somebody or you're going to pull them to the ground. Yep. But there's a lot of those times too, where you would see them come in and they would just grab Michael before he could jump. No, that's not going to work. I mean, I, I strongly believe that that would not work. Well, for it, one, they'd call it intentional foul probably at, at, at some point. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah. And it's just like LeBron is, a, is just ridiculously strong. I mean, he's a physical specimen that is unlike anything that anybody has ever seen, you know, and that's not about his basketball skill, anything like that. Like I said, it's not about LeBron versus Michael. I don't care about that. I'm just sitting there watching these things and I'm like, man, if they try to do this to LeBron, I don't know that it would work because yeah. the dude is so physically, is so freakish physically mm-hmm. that I don't think unless you're going to go even, even to more extreme lengths to try and get the guy on the ground i don't think you'd be able to yeah and like that's the that's the thing i kind of noticed about the difference between the modern nba and back then is that even though back then they allowed so much i feel like everyone just looks bigger mm-hmm. in this year in this modern nba now so while the rules have changed and they let the offensive players have more freedom of movement I think, you know, overall, the athletic standard of today's NBA is above what was back then. Yeah, and I think that the people are just more skilled, mm-hmm. which is probably a testament to what those guys did for the NBA and for the game of basketball at that time to, you know, elevate the level of pop, uh, of popularity to where more and more kids are going to play basketball instead of playing football or, you know, or play basketball instead of playing baseball or things like that, where some of those sports that were more popular at that time, like the playing field has leveled a little bit more, more yeah. and more of America's best athletes are going to play basketball, mm-hmm. you know? And like I said, that's a, probably a testament to what guys like him, what, what Mike, like guys like Michael, guys like Larry and Magic and, uh, and Isaiah Thomas, what they were able to do at that time, you know, and then carry in the next generation, the Kobe's and the Shaq's and people like that, uh, to where now, like, I think the general average skill level of an NBA player is probably higher than what the general average skill level of an NBA player in 1989 or 1990 was. Yep. And where the guy who's like the 10th player on the bench for the Utah Jazz in 2020, I'm not saying to be the best player on every team in the NBA. He'd probably be a starter. But he'd be a starter for probably every team in the NBA. Yeah. And and that's not just like it's, – it's not like saying like one game was better than the other. It's just – I think that that's just a fact of the evolution. And you can sit back and look and be like, man, the way that the game was grown at this time is what has allowed – you know, they walked so that these kids could run. Yeah. You know? And, and I think that watching this puts officially puts the uh, puts like a nail in the coffin in my mind of any time that anybody wants to tell me, oh, they played better defense in, uh, in the 80s than they do in 2020. They don't play defense now. You think you'd go in the lane against the, against the Pistons? Yeah, because Bill Lambeer was going to take your head off. Yeah. That's not playing defense. Exactly. Like, that's not defense. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're protecting the rim. Yeah, well, you might break somebody's neck, too. I don't know. I mean, that that's what, to me, is so frustrating, you know? And it's like, that's what this documentary has opened my eyes to. Yeah. Is that when, yeah, okay, they played better defense in the 80s. Well, was that defense or was it just being dirty? Exactly. And I think that this, and obviously they cherry-picked some clips and things like that because, I mean, it's obviously a Bulls documentary. But... I think you could look at a lot of things like that. And there are obviously guys who played it, didn't play it that way. 
But when you want to pinpoint those specific things, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, obviously the Pistons were good at defense. Everybody was scared to go in the lane because they didn't want to die. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't think ja- JaVale McGee is going to pick me up by my neck and throw me down on the ground like what Bill Lambeer probably could any time that he wanted to. Exactly. Or where, you know, you get into it with someone and Isaiah Thomas is going to run up behind you and re- pin your arms down so that someone can beat the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. That, that, that doesn't happen now. And yeah. that's what was so I was so taken aback by that where I'm just like man all these people that want to sit here and tell me that this was better then yeah no again again it wasn't better I'm completely on the same page with you the the defense itself I'm it it might not have been any better at all actually but I mean the the physicality and the what they allow players to get away with back then was definitely more than what you know the current rules allow I wouldn't want to watch that it's football on a basketball court football Uh, on hardwood yeah it's not basketball yeah and that's what I'm watching those guys and I'm like, dude, this is not, this is not basketball. Like, mm. that's just like, I don't even know what to call it. You yeah. know, it's just, it's just being dirty. And, yep. and it's just, you, it makes you understand why a lot of players in the NBA, like guys at that time, their primes were so much shorter. You know, Larry, <laughs> yeah. Larry Bird was a great player for like eight years mm. before his back was so torn up that he couldn't even hardly get up off the floor. And like, I would t- no wonder. I don't know. The, the Pistons are every time he drives in the lane, they're grabbing him by his neck and clotheslining him. Yeah. Man, I just went on a rant, but I got <laughs> I was fired up about that the other day. Yeah. And and that thing about LeBron is what like prompted it for me because I'm just like, man, I can't even imagine if they wanted to do that. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, LeBron you, gets if he even gets his step to plant. Yeah, he's going to be so high up already. You can't grab him by the neck like well, that. Well, that's the thing. Like you, you look at Michael Jordan again he, after after a year or two of weightlifting. I mean, Michael was still much smaller than LeBron James is now. Yeah. Even when LeBron James started his career. Yeah. So I mean, it's like if Michael can eventually overcome the Pistons just by doing a couple years of weightlifting, then my, LeBron James could do it immediately. You know. Well, and it's not even just like it's not just LeBron. LeBron is just the one that I've thought of because he's such a yeah. physical freak. And, I mean, I think you could say the same thing about Shaquille O'Neal. Try and drag him down to the ground. Yeah. But you take Shaquille O'Neal, then throw that to, you know, uh, I mean, Dwight Howard. When Dwight Howard was at his peak, Kevin Garnett. Yep. Guys like that, that, the ones that helped change the game here over the last 20 years or so. I mean, the kind of physical specimens that they were and how strong that they were. Michael was the one who kind of showed, like, man if everybody just gets a lot stronger, mm-hmm. then we can kind of negate some of these things, Yeah, you know, and you yep. take some of these things out of the equation. Cause it wasn't like those Detroit Pistons were all like, you know, super buff guys. They just, they, again, they, they wrapped guys up when they got into the lane. They made sure that you couldn't get a shot off. Bill Lambeer looks like a high school chemistry teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, if people want to tell me that, yeah, okay. Bill Lambeer is a badass. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Bill Lambeer doesn't look any worse or like, like, I don't. I mean, that, even even when Robin was on the Pistons, he wasn't he wasn't like he like he was Hulk Hogan or anything. You know? No, and that's I have more a lot more respect from what I've ever seen of Dennis Rodman than I do for Bill Lambeer. And I mean, I don't I haven't seen a ton of what Bill Lambeer could do pure skill wise, but I know that Dennis Rodman, like I said about the tips and the things like that, his game was still predicated on some level of skill, and not just I'm just going to go out there and be a bully and beat people up. Yeah, and I'm like there. that. I, to me, that's where I sit there and I'm like, man, I don't respect you. And, yeah. I, and I think that that's why none of those guys from that era respect Bill Lambeer. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I think that that 
and that's why no, nobody from that era respects any of those guys. Yeah. And that's, I think, was made blatantly clear by what, you know, by what Horace Grant said, mm-hmm. by what Michael was saying about Isaiah. And I think that it shows, too, that those Pistons guys don't have any respect for anybody else either. They yeah. just think that they're their way was the right way yeah and we can kind of use that to roll into the the phil jackson episode i think there were three three main things that stood out to me about the jackson episode the first one we'll kind of just address it was that the you know isaiah thomas kind of fessed up that you know he wouldn't have walked off the court after that um that loss in the finals um after you know he kind of confessed that they would they would have knowing hindsight 2020 they would have shook the bull's hands yeah um and it was kind of funny to see Michael react to Isaiah saying those things. Yeah, because I think that he knows that they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I mean, he's just – Isaiah's had 30 years to sit there and think about how he's going to answer that question. Yeah. And, I, I mean, for me – I didn't sit there and feel like Isaiah really felt bad because he's still trying to justify it. For me, I believe that he, you know, he would have done it differently had he known what he knows had he known what he knows now yeah if he knew he was going to be vilified then yeah. he wouldn't sit here and like well yeah. yeah i believe him in that aspect i don't think back then he would have done anything anything differently but i and that's where i'm saying i think that he would have done it differently for selfish reasons yeah and and if he would have known that he wasn't going to be included on the dream team because of it things like that yeah. you know oh yeah of course you would do it differently if he would have known he could have played for the greatest basketball team of all time yep or, um, or the most famous basketball team of all time. Yeah. You know, or uh, if uh, in the way that he, and like I said, the fact that I, I felt like he didn't really mean it was because he still sat there and tried to justify why he did it. And you're like, and then you start to learn more about why the Celtics did what they did at that time. Like, and, and it's really kind of, uh, you know, twisting the facts of it and twisting your it to fit your narrative. Whereas like the Celtics sit there and they're like, we knew that we had not lost in a long time and the people were going to rush the floor at the Pontiac Dome. Okay, you know, makes sense. I wouldn't want to be out there either when, and you see that all the time now, Mm. where it's like, we're going to try and get our people out of here before there's going to be thousands of people on the floor. And like, that's where, like I said, like, I don't, Isaiah can try and sit there and justify it, but I, I got what Michael was, where Michael was coming from. Where yeah. he's just like, no, nah, it's going to be BS. I don't care. And I did love Michael's reaction that you know they did at those first two years where they did get beat by the Pistons. They they stayed out there and they did shake hands. Yeah. And they weren't returned that favor by the Pistons. That really stood out to me. Yeah, and I thought Travis Hines put it a, a nice way on the radio tonight where he said, you know, for two years in a row before that, Michael had to kiss Isaiah's ring. Yeah. After it was over and say, you know, and acknowledge like you were better than us. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, and you know, it's something like you can tell that Michael is bothered by the fact that Isaiah never had to do that for him. And like, and I get it, you know, and it's obviously there's a lot of ego and stuff to it and it's stupid and it's stupid still to probably be mad about it 30 years later, but I get it because it's like, that was so Bush league to me. Mm -hmm. It was so just like, it's like, man, just take it, you know, take the fact that you got beat. I don't know. It's just like when Dana Holgerson comes out and complains about the fans, unprofessional, man, just come on, dude. It's part of the game, man. Exactly. Like, just take it, dude. Like, don't, don't go on the media and just like try and make people look bad. You know, it's stupid. It Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. There's no point. And for, for Isaiah and all them, it's like, even when the, and I can say like, even if they're going to walk by the bench and walk out, they walked right past the guys. You couldn't have said anything? Yeah. 
I mean, I remember, I don't know if it was this last year or the year before when, or it wouldn't have been this last year, but the last time that the, uh, the Cavaliers played the Warriors in the finals when uh, LeBron was going to check out of the last game of that, of that series, what did LeBron do? He went up to every guy on the floor and he dapped him up and he's like, congratulates him, you know, because he knows that they're about to be celebrating and they don't want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And he's going to walk off the floor and leave. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to make it a LeBron thing, but it's just like, that's just like common yeah. courtesy in my mind is like, you beat us. Mm-hmm. You're the better team than us. And I'm acknowledging that to you right now. And it's just like a, it's part of the process. Yep. If that makes sense. It does. Um, two other things stood out to me about the Phil Jackson episode. First one I actually saw on Twitter. Apparently, Rodman and Carmen Electra, who is you know featured in the in the the series, they had copious amounts of sex <laughs> throughout the Bulls uh, facilities. I didn't understand that. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that part. Uh, that was excluded from the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so I was. Uh, it was one of the few. Uh, one of the few uh, non FCC approved words that was. Uh, yeah. Not included. Uh, so I was disappointed that, that that got left on the cutting room floor. I would have I would have uh, enjoyed seeing that be talked out on national TV. Well, I thought that Michael kind of uh, alluded, alluded, to, alluded it. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did. Uh, he did. No, I mean, dude, that's been like the craziest thing to me is just hearing these guys drop F-bombs on live TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, not live TV, but like on national television where it's just like you're sitting there and you're – I mean, I think it was right away in this last one where it's just like someone comes right out and, and drops an F-bomb, and you're like, whoa, okay, so here we go. <laughs> exactly. I'm ready. It you gets know? your attention when dudes drop the F-bomb like that. Oh, yeah, and, and I mean, after a little while when you're watching it like that, you kind of – It fades you, into the background It, it fades bit. into the background, but it's like when it first happens, when you turn on ESPN, then you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do this right now, you know, but uh, no, I, I love it. Yep. I, it's, it makes it a lot more uh, genuine, I think. Definitely. All right, last thing stood out to me about that episode – um, was that the, Michael and Doug Collins, their relationship, they were, they were so close and Michael loved him as a coach that it was just, I, I did, wasn't really aware of how much, you know, it took for Michael to get over the hump of yeah. allowing Phil Jackson to eventually become the coach and, you know, implement the triangle offense. Yeah. I had heard that before. Um, I never knew any of the details of why Doug Collins was fired. I always just thought it was that they couldn't get over the hump mm-hmm. and they just needed to like get another guy. And that's what I think is interesting is like some of the things where it's just like you go way deeper into it, you know, the his relationship with Tex Winters and things like that. I didn't know about that stuff, you know. And like obviously I knew Tex Winter was a assistant for Phil Jackson, but I never knew about the thing where Doug Collins basically tried to freeze him out. Yeah. I would be interested to know too, and they didn't really ever address this. If Doug Collins, if he could do it again, would he embrace Tex Winter a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, maybe. You know? I don't know. Because I don't think, like, yeah, I mean, obviously, it maybe would have just worked out the same way. At the same time, like, if, if you're getting to the point where you're in the Eastern Conference semifinals or, you know, whatever level it was, um, and, and you're giving the ball to Michael Jordan, and it's relatively working, I mean, you can't get over the hump, but, I mean, maybe it's just dumb luck that you couldn't get over the hump. Like, why wouldn't you give the ball to the superstar of the NBA, you know? I, I just think it's – yeah, I mean, it's tough because we've – how many times have we ever seen one guy do it, you know? Like, okay, we're going to give the ball to Michael. He's going to go sc- score 60 points tonight. Yeah. And we're going to win the NBA title. Yeah. Uh, okay, good luck, you know. Whenever we've seen that ever have to even be a thing, you think about Allen Iverson in 2001. Uh you think about LeBron James in 2007, LeBron James in 2000, 
2018, 2015. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them for LeBron where it's like that. Um, I mean, there's not many times where anybody's ever been able to do that. Yeah. You know, even those Laker teams that only had Kobe Bryant. Well, he won titles when he had Shaq next to him. He had t- he won titles when he had Pau Gasol next to him. Like, it takes those other guys, yeah. you know? And I think that that's where, like, Tex Warner wasn't probably coming in saying, like, yo, man, we can't give the ball to Michael so much. I don't think anybody's going to say that. Yeah. But it's just like, we got to figure out a way to get everybody else involved in order to get us to where we can, you know, be a championship team yeah. rather than just it's Michael and you know everybody else running around. And I, again, I don't know much about Tex Winter, but I think it's kind of apparent that Phil Jackson was the bridge between Tex Winter and maybe what a little bit of what Doug Collins was. Like Doug Collins was a great job of being charismatic and you know being that competitive fire that Michael latched onto. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, Phil Jackson could essentially kind of match that, but at the same time incorporate the team aspects that Tex Winter was. Well, you know where Tex Winter like made his name as a coach right like if you remind me i'll probably know <laughs> at an elite institution down in manhattan kansas oh <laughs> for the kansas state wildcats oh of course i should have known eight-time champion of the big seven conference oh really uh mm. coached, actually I, I didn't know that actually coached omaha native bob boozer uh mm. yeah that's i mean that's kind of where he was like first you know kind of got to be a big guy i think he went to a couple final fours and mm. stuff like that which was way different in like the 60s but uh, but I mean, like the t- the but, team aspect of like the of the triangle offense, I feel like that would be more of a college basketball. Like, oh, it definitely is oriented offense than you would in in the NBA. Yeah, and I would. I don't know that much about the triangle. Like, I just know you know a little bit about. I mean, as much as anything, it's just like the set that you're in, and then it's like, yo, Michael, go do your thing. Yeah, you know. And I don't think anybody's gonna sit here and say like, Michael was restrained to this offense that he had to run. You There's know? still a lot of freedom. Yeah, and but it makes you when they do those points when they do talk about it, it helps you understand why they were so good at, with the Lakers when they were running it. Yeah, you know, when when Kobe and could be on the wing and you had Shaquille O'Neal on the block. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. You know, and. Like, I think it's more just about the basic concept of it than it is, like, a highly, like, structured motion offense. Mm-hmm. And that's where I don't think, like, really even was that, like, crazy to say, hey, we got we should try this, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure that Doug Collins didn't want to be uh, undercut in a yeah. sense. But I, I don't I don't know Tex Warner, obviously, but it's just like I would find it hard to believe that he's like coming in there trying to like say, man, we shouldn't let Michael just stand around and dribble so much. Yeah. I mean, th- there had to have been a reason why Jerry Krause favored Phil Jackson as opposed to Tex Winter. And well, I, I would imagine it's, the, it's on the non-basketball side of things. Well, I, I mean, you heard Jerry Krause say in that in an interview that he did at some point where he he called Tex Winter the greatest basketball mind that he's ever known. Mm hmm. And it, I would, I'm sure that this is out there somewhere, probably some interviews or something like that. But Tex Winter was never a head coach again. I mean, he never was a head coach in, in the professional ranks as far as I know. He went from Chicago to Los Angeles with Phil Jackson. I mean, maybe he was just didn't want to be a head coach. You know, he just wanted to be a basketball guy. He didn't want to have to deal with the personalities and all the things like that. It's just like, let Phil handle all that stuff and then all – coach the offense mm-hmm. you know and i'll give you my insight and things like that and he's just a basketball dude that's you true know? if i mean if it, you know if you're if you're a great basketball mind honestly assistant coach is, is a great you know position to be in i mean someone that i think you can 
think about and look at what they've done since then uh, or since when they were a great assistant is Tom Thibodeau. Mm. I mean, widely regarded as one of the great basketball minds, especially defensively, I think, of the last 15 years. And, you know, you look at what he was with the Boston Celtics in the late 2000s where he was the, you know, the guru. He, he was the guru of that defense with Paul Pierce, with Kevin Garnett as the anchor and all those kinds of things. And, you know, he – but then Doc Rivers was the one who kept them kept the personalities in check. Yeah. You know, he was the guy who was there, like, doing the day-to-day, like, making sure everybody's feeling good. Yeah. You know? That's a really good comparison. Tibbs didn't care about whether everybody felt good. I think that he proved that out in Chicago and in Minnesota. Yep. But nobody's going to sit here and say that Tibbs wasn't a good basketball mind because they won. You know, he's won basically everywhere except for Minnesota, which was just a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like when you see him run down some of the guys that he did in Chicago as a head coach – it's like, man, he probably should – he was like – he's just born to be an assistant. He's a great basketball mind, but he's just probably not the guy that you want making your decisions every day. Yep, exactly. And that that's where I, like, kind of look at that. Is it's like I think we can see that Phil is very good at managing the personalities. He's very good a lot at all of those kinds of things. Tibbs is like the guy that needed to be on the bench in Chicago with Fred Hoiberg. Fred could do the other stuff, but you needed Tibbs to be there and be the one who's the asshole. Especially since Tibbs was, was the defensive mind. You know, he would have been the, the yin to Fred's yang. Yeah, and maybe that would have been what Jim Boylan could have been if Jim Boylan wasn't a conniving snake, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, we're not even going to take a break because we're already in an hour, 10 minutes. But Holy we'll, uh, crap. We'll knock out um, Hot and Not, and then we'll get out of here. Dude, this wine has just fueled our nonstop talking. Dude, I'm fired up. All right. I think uh, you can tell. Moving on, my hot this week, I watched Fight Club for the first time ever on Saturday night. First rule about Fight Club. Don't talk about it, I know. But I'm not a part I'm not a part of Fight Club, but I can still talk about it. Okay. Um, it's a great so movie. All time great film. <laughs> it was very good actually. I, I I you know, I knew the fighting happened. I didn't realize the twist and I won't spoil it. Oh, I guess I could spoil it. It's only twenty something years old. <laughs> You're right. I might as well spoil it. So yeah. If you like, haven't seen it at this point. The Brad Pitt character who is the main I would say the main character in a way is essentially the the other main character's alter ego yeah imaginary friend norton yeah yeah which i didn't see coming um personally because i'd never seen the film hadn't hadn't had it spoiled for me um so that was interesting to watch play out man if anybody out here is mad at fitzy for just spoiling (laughs) fight club of one of the most famous movies of the last american movies of the last 25 years then i'm sorry uh wasn't me i didn't give the spoiler that was all fitzy you can contact me at jared stansbury on twitter (laughs) Uh, all right. Uh, my hot this week is alcohol. Alcohol sales up. Uh, th- what did I put on there? 29.2%. 27 or 25.7. 25. Uh, some numbers. I don't know. <laughs> numbers. 25.7% uh, year to date after uh, after quarantine. Why? Yeah, I was going to say, why Why possibly would it be up so much? I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't imagine. I can't imagine. My hot this week, the Navy finally released the UFO footage um, for the first time ever. And it's my, my not because alien truthers like you and, and, and Chris Williams are now just running free in the streets. I mean, we've always been running free in the streets. But you're, you're, like, you're encouraged to run free in the streets now. Well, now, no, now we're just, we're vindicated. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else can see. I, I guarantee there's some non-alien explanation for all those UFOs mm-hmm. that exist. Mm-hmm. I sure. couldn't tell you what sure. they are, sure. sure, but it exists. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is. I see you don't have a knot this week. I sir. don't have a knot. I couldn't think of one. Wow. Your life's just going so great that you don't have a knot, huh? No, I just couldn't. I looked all over the place. I couldn't think of one. Hmm. Wow. No knots I mean, for Jared. what's out there? What's out there that has like, 
nothing is happening that can really um that's at least podcast friendly i guess yeah you're right i could name things that aren't podcast friendly oh i mean you could you could again you could have said that the the whole dennis robin and Carmen electra not having sex or you know sex thing didn't make the the, the documentary well see i don't think they're gonna put Carmen electra and dennis rodman having sex in a documentary but why not that's I mean, a different already, kind of documentary and it wouldn't be on espn they're already right? dropping f-bombs every two minutes well in i just told you I, the different kind of documentary and i don't think it would be on espn all right all right fair enough all right let's close it out throwing it back to another segment on stands of fits would you rather okay we done a would you rather in a while let's do it i have three for you today first would you rather would you rather have to wear sweatpants for the rest of your life or never be able to wear sweatpants again sweatpants for the rest of my life i mean would i be able to tell everybody like that i have to wear sweatpants forever i i mean it doesn't say so i would imagine you could well then over there we go but what if you have if to- at least if i can justify to them i can say hey i made some sort of pact that makes it to where if i wear normal pants then i will die what if you get invited to some kind of black black tie event though well then i'll buy black sweatpants that I, still be sweatpants yeah but i'll wear them with my suit coat with my tie and my nice shirt tuck them all into my sweatpants i'll like they'll be plain black you know and then i'll, I'll make it work all right fair enough moving on see i worked my way around that one didn't i <laughs> you did a little bit second one would you rather buy 10 things you don't need every time you go to the store or always forget one thing that you need when you go to the store always forget one thing why because you can go back and get the one thing no you can't because you will forget one thing every time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that one through, did you? Oh, man. I mean, it, at least like forgetting one thing will cost you less money than buying 10 extra things. But what if you could, I mean, it would be a lot of work, but you could always resell those things. 10 things you don't need, though. Like, that's a lot of things that you don't need. But what if it's 10 things? I mean, it could technically be 10 individual things of the same thing. Like 10, 10 packs of toilet paper in this time would be easy to sell, I would think. Okay, so you're looking at it as a money-making opportunity. Yeah. You, I'm looking at it as a money-saving opportunity. <laughs> I mean, as long as you have the capital up front to be able to afford the extra 10 things, and I feel like that would be the easy choice. See, I don't look at every time I go to the store as an investment, but I guess that that might be... But again, how, how annoying would it be it? to every time you went to the store, you forgot one thing well, like, that you we're, need? We're talking about the grocery store, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be the, the regular store too. Like, what if you need to get clothes? What if you need to buy a new pair of sweatpants for your black tie formal, <laughs> <laughs> and you forget your sweatpants every time you go to the store? Man, someone needs to make sweatpants that look like dress pants. I bet there is somebody. I who's guarantee done that. those exist somewhere. Man, I might see. We should, Lay- we should Google it. When Maybe we get Life off. will let me uh, wear those when I'm the best man of his wedding. You should definitely ask. All right, last. Would you rather? I'm sure he would let me. I don't know if Jess would. This is a tough one. Would you rather have all of your browser history you've ever recorded be made public or all the photos you've ever taken be made public? Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, probably my... It's a tough one, I know. Probably my browser history, I guess. I don't know. Really? So, I mean, obviously, like, everyone's taking a picture of their body at some point. That's kind of the, that's kind of the thing that you, gets you held up on the photos, right? Well, I mean, the photos thing is, like, think how many things there's that you take a photo of that isn't really, like, you know, you're not taking a photo to share it with someone. Or it's, like, you're taking a photo of something that you find funny in that moment to, like, send it to somebody, you know? Yeah. And it's not, like, a... That's true. There could be some really dirty jokes or something well, like yeah, that. Yeah, and there's like no context to any of it, you know. At the same time, like think about like everything you've ever Googled before. <sighs> like if someone read through that, how, how hardcore would they judge you? Probably pretty hardcore. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure there's probably pictures I've taken that people would judge me for too. I mean, yeah. 
both ways you're gonna get judged. In my opinion, I would lean toward allowing the photos to be released, just because, I mean, once you get that. Release the photos. Release the photos, yeah, exactly. Once we you get out there. We didn't take any pictures like we were going to. Oh yeah, maybe we should do that, like, I mean, obviously after we're done recording, because we don't wanna take pictures while we're recording. Oh uh, yeah, well, I mean, you could have taken a picture of me, I could have taken a picture of you. We could take a picture with the empty bottle. Yeah, be we, like, yeah we, we, we knocked this out, not even halfway through the pod. No, it was like a quarter of the way in. Yeah. I think that it showed. I think the the quality of this podcast was outstanding the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're set to now really hit our groove here, hit our stride, and uh, have some very quality conversation. I think you're right. Unfiltered in a way. I mean, still filtered, but unfiltered. Yeah, like if you guys thought that I could go on rants before, <laughs> give me whatever that was, three, glass, three uh, plastic <laughs> cups of wine, and uh, apparently I'll go on some, of I'll two, say some pretty crazy stuff about Dennis Rodman. Of and 2016 double gold Pistons. barefoot Moscato. Man, shout which out to is, him. Which is the Lopez brothers and Bryce Harper <laughs> of, the, of the cheap wine world. I love how the Lopez brothers, who are like an insanely average duo of NBA players, and then Bryce Harper, who might be the most one of the five most famous baseball players in the world. Famous, yes, famous, but not necessarily good. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just... Yeah, I, I, I agree. Our, our, again, our, our scale isn't always going to match up. I do think that this was good, though. I, I thought that this was solid. And I, I will say that I, I know... Um, Generally, that Mos- Moscato is a, su- sweet, a sweet yeah. wine, yeah. and I would say that that appeals to our taste buds, being that we're young males. Yeah, I figured we probably should start off with something that isn't going to make us want to like d- dump it out. Yeah, like well, I mean, I don't think I'll dump anything out, but at the same time, I'm not at this point in my wine tasting career like a dry, you know, yeah. non-sweet wine guy. Yeah, I'm not going to like sit here and be a wine snob with you. Exactly. All right, man. It's uh, it's been fun. Indeed. We will uh, talk in two weeks for episode 99. Cannot wait. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Carl Chevrolet. CarlChevrolet.com. CarlChevroletStewart.com. Talk to you guys again soon. Peace.